Welcome to All Together Now. This is Eleanor Lacane. Recently, world leaders met in Glasgow to discuss a response Recording to the climate in progress. crisis. Although the government discussions in Glasgow fell short of the bold actions needed, young people in the streets demanded serious action now. What can be done about the climate crisis? How can we in the United States take action when people are so divided and so hostile to each other? How do we make our public conversations more civil? Are there lessons we can learn from Native Americans about how to not destroy the planet, but rather live in harmony with nature and each other? And what can we do to motivate people to take needed action before it's too late? My guest today can answer all these challenges and more. Libby Roderick is the director of the Difficult Dialogues Initiative at the University of Alaska Anchorage and co-founder of the Difficult Dialogues National Resource Center. Libby is also an internationally recognized award-winning singer-songwriter, recording artist, and activist whose music has been featured on CNN, CBS, and around the world. We met and became friends through the Yale Women Network. Libby Roderick, welcome to All Together Now. So happy to be here. So you are a real Renaissance woman and know so much about so much. Uh, and I'd love to start the conversation by what I think is one of the most pressing questions in the world is about this climate situation we're in. And, you know, the recent conference in Glasgow reminded me of the old New England saying, everybody is talking about the weather, but no one is doing anything about it. <laughs> right. There was a lot of talking, but not enough action. What do you think we need to do about the climate emergency? Well, large question. Yes. And let me just recognize right off the bat that I am coming to you from Anchorage, Alaska, where I am on the traditional unceded and sacred lands of the Dena'ina people. And I say that because uh, one of the first things that always comes to my mind is we really just need to get real. We, we need to start getting very real. And I say that because all of the indigenous nations that I know of, the names for those nations means real people and, and the real people, the real human beings and so forth. And what they mean by that is to, is to get real, to actually get reconnected. The elders say that the root of all of our problems if we have lost a sense of connection um, and, and, and that's a, it's not a metaphorical thing. It's really true, right? Mm -hmm. We have forgotten that we literally depend on the earth, that our children are not going to make it, right? If our waters don't make it, if the climate gets too hot, if there are too many droughts, if the wildfires take over, if, right, and so forth and so on. So the first thought that comes to my mind has to do with, with that, that we have been in the midst of a consumer trance for a long time, a trance of individualism. Everybody sets their own goals. They go after their own interests. They stack up their own money if they're able to do it. They pursue their own dreams without much real thought to the impacts of that on everybody else and everything else. And, 
and we've been sort of sold a bill of goods about the uh, limitlessness of this, that we can just keep living the way that we're living and there are no limits, but there really are limits, <laughs> turns out, right? That the natural law always trumps uh, economic law, as I think it was Naomi Klein said. So the first thought, and it's hard to get real. I, I'm, I'm now speaking to what I assume is a very educated group of progressive folks. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, who have probably done pretty well in life, have pretty comfortable lives, materially speaking, have suffered their own heartbreaks in the way that everybody does in life, but basically are doing okay. Right. Um, and that's the group I've been speaking to for 30 plus years, trying to wake us up, not the people who dismiss the climate crisis, not the people, right, who, you know, you know, all those other folks, but us, right, because we have so much political power that is grossly underutilized. We have mm-hmm. so much purchasing power that's grossly underutilized. We have so much social and cultural power that's grossly underutilized. And and I think the hardest thing, at least my experience has been with people, is people just literally don't get this. Somehow we think that it's not going to touch us. It might be awful, right? There might be island nations that are sinking as we speak. It might be true that my indigenous uh, uh, friends and and um, colleagues have people who are whose lives are on the line right now in our coastal communities. But we think, but it's not going to actually, right, disrupt my life. Well, it actually is. And that's the piece where I think step number one is kind of waking up out of the trance that this is not coming to get us somehow, right? It right. is, right? Vancouver, right? Look at BC. All the roads are down, you know? Literally, they can't get to each other. The wildfires that we're having, the droughts that we're having, it goes on and on, and it's going to keep going, right? Mm -hmm. So point number one is wherever you are, whoever you are, and you're probably already there, and your heart may be breaking already around this, or you may be numb, and it's okay, right? This is big. It's hard. I've grieved a ridiculous amount, right? Um, Mm -hmm. There's no blame to go around there. We're done. You know, that doesn't help at all, right? But wherever you are right now, I, I just... I, I uh, send out a plea to you, I send out an invitation, I put my arms around you, I, I love you up, whatever it is you need to start actually waking up to what's happening and that it's an emergency and uh, the time is actually now. So with that said, <laughs> um, what, you know, I know that everybody feels powerless, right? It's a huge topic that people, more than anything I've ever seen, almost feel like they don't know where to move. They don't know how to move. Um, and I get it, right? And I've worked on this forever. I feel that way half the time, right? I mean, it's just a, it's a monster situation. But there are tons of things we can do. And the first thing I, I want to call out, you probably know this, there's a book that came out some time ago that was put together by researchers, business people, NGOs, and so on, scientists, called Drawdown. And it, it outlines the hundred research-based solutions that if we were to scale them up would literally reverse the uh, climate crisis. That was written by Paul Hawken, wasn't it? Well, his team. He has, his team. He, he kind of yeah, led he, the team. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's a website, and that website has all kinds of solutions and all that. Now, most people I know never go there, right? I'll say that, but they right. never go the next step. Uh, so I'm encouraging you, like today, just go look it up, right? Just take one small step to actually looking at uh, an inventory of things humans have come together to figure out that actually could make the difference if we moved on them. 
Okay. Yeah, and if I may jump in here, the sure. uh, I think there's kind of generally two categories of action that we can take. One is what we as individuals in our yep. living yep. can do, which you're talking about with the drawdown. And of course, we should all do whatever we can. Um, and uh, I, you know, I've seen that book. It's an amazing book. It's a great yes, resource. And I agree with you. I think it'd be great if more people could take advantage of that, because I think a lot of people don't realize we can actually reverse what's yeah, going on. Yeah, we can on. do this. We, we, we can, actually can do this. We can right? take the carbon out of the atmosphere and into soil or, you know, different ways. Yeah. The second set of activities is around our collective action. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in the political sphere, and that's about electing people at every level Absolutely. who get that this is a top priority. And yeah. I'll say on that, although all of us were disappointed in the Glasgow sure. conference, um, you know, it's the 11th hour and they just did not meet the moment. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize that there there are individual nations who are really on it and doing a lot. And um, there are mayors all over the globe who right. have really stepped up big time That's and right. getting their cities to be yep. to go Absolutely. green in a big way. And even governors in the United States are like, we're not waiting for the whole national action That's plan. Right. We've got our state action plan. We've got our city action plan. And and the mayors and governors are leading the way. So there's hope in, in those. Well, there's tons of hope. I, I, I've been doing this for decades. This is the, the in the last several years, people are waking up. Uh, there's stuff happening everywhere that I've seen. Uh, my basic uh, philosophy is run on all fronts, right? We we need them to meet in Glasgow. They're going to blow it. We know you can never rely on governments to do everything that needs to be done. They're not capable of it almost because of the political tensions that they deal with and the compromising that has to go on. But they must do it. They must get together. They must have those conversations, right? We must do everything we can at the local level, at the state level. We must do everything we can at the individual level. It's an emergency, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I agree with you. So when I think of those two things you talked about, I think collectively, one, get behind in a big way people who are willing to run for public office who support action on the climate emergency. In fact, don't let anybody, don't support anybody who doesn't. Right. And just it, keep it It's got to become like a litmus issue. Com completely, right? So that's one action we can take on the collective level. And we need to, if you have money, give it to those people. Now is the time, Right. Um, the second piece is to join some of the existing groups and get your direction from them on actions, whether that's 350.org or the Sunrise Movement or the Indigenous Environmental Network. Or go out there and just, again, you can Google climate action groups um, and people who are working on biodiversity protection and so forth. Actually do it, right? Join one of those groups, give money to them, and then when you get their direction from them, their actions, take the action. Right. So today, mm -hmm. the action for the Green New Deal, literally today, the action is you call your House of Representatives person. And I did this already today. It takes three minutes. And you say, absolutely support the Build Back Better bill fully, because that is a once in a generation opportunity that we have like this week mm -hmm. to really, truly invest not only in climate stuff, which is critical and the most critical thing, in my opinion, because without it, as I've said before, you know, all the other struggles cannot go on. We need to keep getting that, that it's not a question of whether we 
support the environment and we're for gay rights or or we're for gay rights right or support the environment or we're about immigration issues the environment is the is the mother load right if we don't have a living support system that is viable the game is over right right so always put that first and with everything else you do and it will it will advance what you're trying to advance because no issue isn't tied to the well-being of our planet um so anyway Call your representative, tell them to support the Build Back Better bill fully because it does have things for all the social issues, equity issues and so forth, elders issues and so forth. But it has for the first time in this nation, I've been doing this forever, it's the first time there's actually something the U.S. could do, finally, or will do, right? We've been trying Mm -hmm. to get legislation through the Congress for as long as I can remember. This is the first time it's ever been within our reach. Please call. So on a collective level, because we're not going to pull it off just doing individual stuff, right? We have to be addressing the subsidies to the fossil fuel industry uh, and to the the way we do our food. You know, we have to uh, change the incentives for all that stuff. Food waste is the third biggest cause of the climate crisis, according to the drawdown research, right? The Mm -hmm. amount of fossil fuels that go into the way we make and purchase and do or do not consume our food these days the meat industry and so forth, right? So on the collective level, I think there's the two things you can do. One is support climate savvy leaders and refuse to support or or hammer on the ones who aren't. And the second thing is to join a group, find a group, join it, donate to the extent you can and, and follow their directions and take the actions they suggest. If you just did those two things on the collective level, On the individual level, I think everybody's probably heard most of this stuff, right? You know, obviously, the less we drive, obviously, the less we fly. Sadly, the fewer children we have. Um, Clearly, half the meat, if you you reduce your meat consumption by half, you've dropped 40% of the emission contribution in your food thing. That's not easy, but it's doable, right? And, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I know from indigenous nations is... People are not taught to think first about what is my right. They are taught first to think what is my obligation to the whole. In the native communities. Yes. And the word sacrifice comes from the word sacred. Right? That if we actually want our lives to mean something, we really do have to snap out of the I deserve to have everything I want mentality. Right? Mm -hmm. So asking us to change, I mean, I like to eat, dairy and cheese. I have to pull back on that same sort of deal. I don't like it, right? But hey, you know what? We're talking about life on the planet. Um, so so there's that. Buying used clothing. The, the uh, clothing industry generates an enormous amount of emissions. Um, switching to a green energy provider if one is in your area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly donating uh, to all the causes that are trying to run as fast as they can on this one. Supporting young people talking about it to people. So one of the things that that we need to get is that um, when you take an action like putting solar panels on your house or you take an action like supporting a climate-friendly politician and you put a sign in your yard or you say to your friends and family, hey, you know, I've decided to cut back on meat because it's really contributing to the climate, so I'm going to be serving fish a couple more times a year, you know, or we're going to try some new recipes. What they've found is that has an amazing ripple effect like the modeling, that that's one of the quickest ways other people change their habits is when you say, you know, I'm not going to fly 
we're, we're going to set up this meeting so people don't have to fly to it to save on carbon emissions. We're going to do it by Zoom. And people hear that. And that's how you change a culture, right? Is you begin to model what the norms are. So exactly don't underestimate right. it. Exactly right. And, you know, of course, we want our federal government and all federal governments to do as much as possible. They must. Uh, they have to. Yeah. And they have to. Um, and we actually can have more impact because there's so many of us. If we just all, I mean, even if the government were completely taken over by the fossil fuel industry, where they have Which tremendous influence, was, right? we all know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but but not totally. And I no, no, say, no, of course not. <laughs> uh, but um, but even if it were, yes, if right. all of us made the changes, that's right. We could do this. Yes, uh, could. You know, enough of us cutting back yep. on meat. And yep, by the absolutely. way. I and where you do, spend your money, right? Your where money you spend is your money. I want to do a shout out to uh, my friend, Francis Moore LaPay, who is celebrating oh, yeah. the 50th anniversary of Diet for a Small Planet. Yeah, and she was beautiful. the first one who came out in a big way to say, cut back on meat. It's good for you and it's good for the environment. Yes, that's um, very true. And uh, the collective action in terms of the voting um you know obviously some of our individual choices are shaped by what the government does for you yeah. the first thing you said cut back on driving yes but it's easier to cut back on driving when we have greater public transportation absolutely and i just uh hats off to biden and the congress in a bipartisan way just passed a major transportation bill, which is the biggest since the 1950s when Eisenhower did the National Defense Act and built yeah. the roads of the country. I know, it's fantastic. This is the big move forward, big move forward. Big move forward yep. on, <clears throat> on public transit in particular, right. Amtrak and you know other trains and buses. It's very exciting. So yes. I think people need to understand that is a major green bill. It wasn't called the Green New Deal, right. but the right. substance of it is. I know it was well done. Yes, it was well done. Indeed. Yeah. So there's hope. And I'm watching, you know, I live here in Washington, D.C., and I watch these battles close up. They were trying to do even more in the bills around sure. being green and they're getting beat back. And they're so close in the Senate. It, you know, they're 50 50 Democrats, yep. Republicans. Yep. Right. Two of the Democrats are kind of dragging their feet and trying to pull too much back. Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kristen Sinema from Arizona. But if we had just a couple more like climate conscious people elected in the Senate, then we could be passing major stuff right now. I yep. mean, we're doing great stuff. We could do even more. So that one or two votes can really make a difference. So I just want to encourage people, your vote matters. And don't yes, think indeed. just because you're one person, your vote doesn't matter. I mean, we've got that woman in Virginia who lost her seat by one vote. And that meant that the House of Virginia went to the Republicans instead of the Democrats. And it changed the whole agenda for the state of Virginia. One vote. So, I live in a I live in a state like that. We that happens a lot. I think it's why we're aware of the power of the vote. Yeah, because that's really true. Well, and I oh I've like two statements that help me stay clear on things. One is the one that came around the meme that said something like it was talking about plastic straws, right? Like who cares if you use a plastic straw or not? And the meme had something to do with saying, oh, what does it matter if I use a plastic straw? Mm -hmm. Said 
It's just one straw, said six billion people. Right. That's it. Exactly. Six billion people. Exactly. The same with the vote. Your vote all by itself, you know, doesn't make the difference, although sometimes it does. Right. But in concert with others, it's going to determine the future of the planet. It really is. Right. The other one I like because I'm from Alaska is I forget who said it, but, you you know, something like uh, if you think you're too small to make a difference, you have never been in bed with a mosquito. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. That's great. And by the way, thinking of straws, I uh, gave a speech. I think it was the first big environmental conference in uh, Kyoto, Japan, uh, back in 1990. And that was one of the things I said was we got um, people were shifting away in Japan, away from they used to have the chopsticks. They'd use mm-hmm. them, clean them and put them back in their pocket for the next mm-hmm. They shifted to disposable chopsticks. Mm-hmm. So we get them, disposable chopsticks in Chinese mm-hmm. or Japanese restaurants here, made out of the like bamboo, whatever. Mm-hmm. And to just use them once and throw them out. And right. I said, you had it right the first time. If you can get those <laughs> reusable chopsticks, then uh, you can stop having to deforest and cut down the trees to make these disposable ones. Because when you cut down the trees to make disposable chopsticks, you are destroying the lungs of the planet and we need the lungs of the planet to clean the air. So, yeah, so I'm I'm totally with you there. And um, I know you're passionate about this and I know you you've done so much. uh, And I know one of the many things you've done is you've written a song about the climate emergency. So if you want to make another comment beforehand, feel free. But if you are willing to play a song. I'd, I'd love for you to share that song with your with our listeners. Sure. Well, the, I will make one comment. It's kind of a snarky one. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to be forgiven and indulged because it's been a long journey. <clears throat> right. Waiting for America and others to wake up. Um, but one of the things that I think really gets in our way is I, I'm passionate about it, not because I want to be working on this. I've said this to many people. I don't like working on climate change. It's not my issue. I, I get people writing me all the time saying, you're interested in this. Let me, sh-, you know, this is their action for the day to send me an article, right? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not actually interested in this. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. I have, you know, I've had to self-educate on every front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not interested in, I'm in love with the world. Mm, that's nice. That's Yeah, that's why I'm doing it, right? right. I'm desperately in love with the world. I love mm-hmm. small children. I want them to make it. Mm-hmm. Right? You want I them love to have a world to grow up in. I do, right? I, I love salmon. I love the mammals we have now, right? Mm-hmm. I love the ocean. I love the world. I, I really love the world, right? Right. And that's why I do all of this. And what I say to people is, so it's not like a personal interest or something, right? I'd <laughs> rather hobby. be doing a lot of other stuff. I'd rather we right. got to sail into comfort in the lifestyle that we wish we could be in. I like it too. I really do, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love to fly. I love, to, you know, driving is easier. Eating whatever I want is great, right? So it's not like I'm passionate about it because I have some personal love for this topic. I can't mm-hmm. stand this topic. Mm-hmm. It's important for people to know that, right? Because yeah. what, what I say to them is if your children are, there's a burn, uh, there's a building and it's on fire and your children are in it, which they are. I don't ask myself, am I interested in fire suppression? 
I don't. I'm not interested in fire suppression. I right. pick up a hose and I try to save those people or those right. creatures. End of story, right? Mm-hmm. So I think why I'm saying that is to, again, sort of break the trance of comfort. We have kind of a, it's not our fault. The corporations and the advertising and everything that assaults us have shaped the American mind into being kind of addicted to comfort and convenience as a, as a premise, right? Mm-hmm. And indigenous folks don't have that, right? They don't have that much stuff as a rule, as a group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't believe in it. They actually think it gets in the way of spiritual development, um, which it does. So anyway, so this right. song was written. Um, well, <clears throat> yeah, if I may just say on that point, just before Please. you roll with the song, yeah, that uh, it's not a, Americans are way up there with consumption, uh, you know, shop till you drop. But the Europeans are advanced Western democracies, and they're not at that same level. In fact, if you look at studies of who are the happiest people, the people of Denmark come out Mm. on the top of the scale. And when they ask the people of Denmark, like, what is it about your life that why do you think you're at the top of the scale for happiest people? Mm -hmm. And they say less stuff, more happiness. Mm -hmm less stuff, more happiness. So I, I think in some ways we're like drowning in stuff and it's better to have less of it. Yeah, if you look at the history of our nation, where we came from, what we were doing, you can sort of see how we got here and how we got here also as individualist more than collective. Like a lot of those nations think of themselves as a, a collective, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't have so much of that because of the way our history developed. Um, right. Okay, so... Uh, this song was written originally for a gathering of ethicists and scientists in um, Oregon State brought together to think about how shall we live in a climate emergency. Mm-hmm. It's called, What Do You Do When the Lifeboats Are Burning? <clears throat> what do you do when the life rafts are burning and your babies are inside the boat? Where do you turn when the waters are churning and you're desperate to learn how to float? How do you pray when your prayers go unanswered and each crier feels so alone? What do you do when the lifeboats are burning? You turn, 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 turn to each other, reach for each other, take one another by the hand. We'll form a life raft, a human life raft, and we will swim towards land. If we make it, we'll start over. If we don't, we go down together, one for all, all forever. Turn. What do you do when the iceberg is looming, but the ship isn't turning away? How can you be heard when the warning bell's booming, but the band just continues to play? Where do you turn when the engines catch fire and the life rafts are starting to burn? What do you do when the life rafts are burning? You turn, 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 turn to each other, reach for each other, take one another by the hand. We'll form a life raft, a human life raft, then we will swim towards land. If we make it, we'll start over. If we don't, we go.
go down together, one for all, all forever. Turn. Start over. If we don't, we go down together, one for all, all forever. Turn, one for all, all forever. Wow, that is such a beautiful song. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think the sentiment is so right. You know, if we um, we need to join together, you know, yeah. and we either make it together or we go down together. Yeah. And that's the reality. Yeah. Talk about getting real. We need to understand that that's the reality. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. And the, the upside to it is, you know what I always say, I have another song I called, Is That What You Really Want? And it was kind of inspired because of the consumerism to say, really, what is it we want here, right? Mm -hmm. I think we want each other. Right. right? There's an epidemic of loneliness in the right. nation. There's the sense that we don't have a purpose. People don't know what's going on. People are having mental health challenges. I mean, the pandemic obviously has raised it up to a fever pitch, but it was already happening. We're just seeing the fractures, right? right? We want each other. We want connection. We want to be tied to the land. It's fun, right? <laughs> right. Way better than the way we're living now with each of us having our little cars and our houses and our little piles of money and our little, it's not very fun. <laughs> It'd be more fun, right? Right. We want connection. We want community. And, we do. Uh, uh, and yet it seems so hard to get there in the United States right now. I mean, we we're just like as polarized now, maybe as we've been at any time since the Civil War. And some people think we're kind of on the verge of a, the second Civil War, if not in it already. Um, and you've done a lot of work, uh, not only directly on the climate change and also, of course, your powerful and very moving music but also through difficult dialogue and um, talk a little bit about uh, this difficult dialogues initiative. Like what are you doing to help people learn how to communicate in a way so we can get over some of these like barriers and hostilities that are dividing the American family? Yeah. Um, well, uh, let me say, as I think I did when we talked once before, that you know the American family has been divided many times before in some very serious ways. Mm -hmm. uh, the way we treat each other in the past has there's been definitely times that have been 
hair raising. I mean, there are stories about people bringing guns to the Congress and, you know, threatening each other. And <clears throat> we haven't always been uh, a happy family. We did have a civil war and it was over some of the same issues that are happening mm -hmm. uh, still with us, right? right? So I want to say that I think personally, I think the big difference, no one will be surprised, is, is technology, right? Is that suddenly we have mm -hmm. the internet. Suddenly we have social media. Suddenly mm -hmm. we have all these ways to communicate uh, with our own echo chambers. And I'm sure everybody has heard, of course, about the way the algorithms work, where when you get on social media or, or so forth, they feed back to you more of what you've already shown that you're interested in. So we are literally living in these filter, bubble filters, they call mm -hmm. them, right? Where you put in something and a person who has a different political view puts in the same search word and they get a completely different reality presented to them and they mm -hmm. think that's the entire reality, mm -hmm. right? So you put in something about children and you'll get something about Mother Teresa and, you know, whatever is going on in terms of work to, to feed children. They'll put it in and they'll get QAnon talking about Hillary Clinton doing something preposterous to children and they will think it is true right right we we also think what we see is complete it's not because we're not seeing those filters so increasingly partly because of the algorithms i'm going to say mm -hmm. partly because of the um migration of wealth up the chain which has been going on in flagrant ways i'm going to say since reagan you can correct me if i'm wrong about that but there have been all kinds of pieces of legislation passed to consolidate wealth in the top 1%. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, people's experience of their living situations has been crummy, right? Crummier and crummier. And, and in the pandemic, for many people, crummier and crummier still, right? Things getting more inequitable, worse. We're at the most divided uh, in terms of economics, right? Mm -hmm. The most unfair that I think we've ever been since the turn of the 19, you know, in, in the uh, 20th century, right. early, right? And so people are unhappy, right? Because they're struggling. It's not fair. And they have really difficult lives in many ways. That's another piece. Then we had, of course, Trump come in and and apparently give permission to people to be inhuman, uh, divisive, deliberately polarizing. The rhetoric that he used gave permission to people to think it was okay to vent their deepest prejudices, mm -hmm. their most impulsive emotional reactions, and call it like policy almost, right? Which has unleashed sort of a torrent of divisive behavior and um, rhetoric. And then I throw in the climate crisis. Nobody else that I know does, but I think we are sensing in our beings that we're in trouble yep. as a human species, that things mm -hmm. are getting scary, resources are being threatened, people are having to leave where they live. Um, there's going to be fights over water, there's going to be fights over food, there already are, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we're in so much uncertainty, so much upheaval, so much fear, right? I think that's what's driving um, the polarization that we're seeing now. So the work I do is is got a kind of narrow take on that only because of where I work and so on, but um, I direct something called the Difficult Dialogues Initiative where I work with faculty in Alaska, in the U US and some in South Africa have done uh, on helping students talk about controversial topics without fistfights basically. Um, and so my work has focused on bringing in a whole bunch of strategies, a wide range of strategies to help folks, mostly in learning environments. They're transferable to other environments for sure. But 
how do we come in and try different things for how to uh, engage with one another's perspectives? Um, I can say more about that if you want me to, but there, there's a free book. You can download it online if you want to. It's called Start Talking, a handbook for engaging difficult dialogues in higher education. You can look at some of the strategies that we teach. You can apply them wherever they apply for, for your own purposes. Um, we also are trying to midwife traditional indigenous ways of teaching and learning and dialogue into our educational systems because the, those processes are brilliant. Um, but there are, and I'm part of a national network that we started called the Difficult Dialogues National Resource Center. Again, the focus is on higher education because if, if students don't get it by the time they hit college, they're never going to get it. But most people don't get to go to college in this nation. Right? Mm -hmm. It's something like 35% only ever right. have gone to college. It's a high, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so there are other projects out there. I'm not that familiar with all of them, but Better Angels is out there. One Small Step is out there. Um, I'm blanking on some of the other names, but there's a whole bunch if you search for dialogue programs that are they're intending to reach across the aisle, right? Um, so anyway, I can say a lot more about that if if you want. Yeah, just thinking about our uh, listeners here, and you know. <laughs> We've got a great opportunity, Kamab. You don't have to be a professor at a university. Just go home to a Thanksgiving dinner with That's your family. Right. And right. families are so divided. I mean, my family is divided. My husband's family is divided. Yep. And so when you come together around Thanksgiving or the holidays, you'll be interfacing with people who literally have a completely different mindset or view. Yes. And um the question is, like, how do you even have a conversation yes. with someone? Like, from my point of view, how do you have a conversation who's so not based in reality? Yes, They're like, yes. got this fantasy world. If you're not even dealing with the same set of facts, yes. how do you have a conversation? So what I hear uh, you saying um, is, you know, we could start with that. If, if our listeners can download that report for free. Right. They so, can, but let, let me go somewhere else with this. Okay, go ahead. That, that's more about group conversations. Um, All right. So I'll, I'll toss out some thoughts on this. They aren't, right. you know, we don't have forever. Get us but... ready for Thanksgiving in the holidays. Okay, okay. <laughs> so first off, my thought is think about your goal. What are you trying to do with this conversation? Are you trying to understand where the other person is coming from? Are you trying to change their mind? Are you trying to protect a relationship and still, you know, make some dent in where they are? Are you just trying to vent? Are you trying to shut down stupidity, right? Um, because it, de it determines how you go at it somewhat, what mm -hmm. your goal is. If you don't care about the relationship, you can say whatever you want. It probably won't make any difference. Um, but if you do care about it, you have to do it differently, right? And, right. and if you wanna to try to change someone's mind, you really have to do it differently. And I always say the bad news is we have to be the grownups. It's a bummer, but there it is. No, seriously, right? We can't indulge the impulse to say, oh my God, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, which is what the impulse is. I have the same impulse, right? right? If you want your goal to happen, that doesn't work. If you don't care, do it. But if you do care, you, we end up having to be far more sort of mature, rhetorically speaking, than we want to be, and then they are. I mean, I'm just going to say it that way, right? So the first thing that, that I encourage people to do is, is take care of your own emotional self beforehand, hmm. right? Notice where your triggers are, mm -hmm. right? You probably know. You've already dealt with your uncle before or whomever, right? Your sister. Right. My brother. Um, yeah. What are they going to say? You already probably know. 
right? Don't be surprised. Don't be, you know, just mm -hmm. failing to anticipate. You probably already know, right? So get real about that, right? Then check out your trigger. Like what happens to you? Do you go offline? Do you become enraged? Do you become, do you withdraw? Do you become, you know, do you attack people? Do you uh, start laughing hysterically? Well, what, you know, what's your response? And start to sort of center in so that you start to center your own emotional self. So you're not coming in out of balance. You're not coming in a trigger, easy to trigger. You're not coming in escalating the situation, which is what we usually do. Right? It right. doesn't help. It doesn't help. Okay. So we need to do our own work so that we can be reasonably centered. It might mean deciding I'm going to breathe 10 times when I hear him say that again. I'm just going to give myself, really, going to give yeah. myself that moment to breathe and remember I'm here just investigating his viewpoint. I'm not here, you know, to tell him what's right and make sure he knows what's true, right? That's not going to work. So I'm going to sit here, center myself, breathe deeply, do what I need to to keep my tone level and neutral and respectful. Anything other than lack of respect will backfire every single time we do it. So we, we're, or the goal is to be respectful, to be as calm as we can be. And then the big ticket item is to listen, mm -hmm. right? We all want to talk when we hear somebody say something outrageous or that we think is outrageous. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I'm a big fan of what works, right? Kind of worship at the altar of effectiveness. Okay. So listening and then listening and then listening again and listening way more than you're comfortable with and try listening a little bit more beyond that mm -hmm. is the best thing you can do for a bunch of reasons. One is they feel heard. Right. And respected. So they, and respected. And people do. Yeah. Turns out don't change their mind if they don't feel heard and respected. Right. They, they will not do it. Right. They will not do it if they think you think they're stupid or bad because you they believed something wrong up until now. I won't do it if you do that to me, right? I mean, I believe things that are wrong too. I'm certain of it. I'm not sure where they are, but I, um, <laughs> but um, so listening, they feel heard, they feel respected, they calm down and you gain information. Mm -hmm. and, and part of what you're trying to gain as information is what matters to them. I just, I just hosted a speaker last night called Justin Lee. You can check out his book. It's called Talking Across the Divide, How to Do This, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what he talked about was the multi-headed hydra that we have, all of us. So we have an emotional core that believes, for example, maybe something very regressive, something racist, perhaps. Maybe the, the core believes, I'm not very smart, and so I need to make sure that other people of other groups don't get ahead of me in terms of jobs, Right. Um, his point is people don't, people's arguments come from that core. So if you, if you challenge their argument one time, they'll just come up with another one because they're defending something core to their identity that they believe on an emotional, not a logical level. So countering it with logic doesn't work. Right? Yeah. Right. Facts will speak. bounce off a frame every time. They, it does. Right. So you're listening for the emotional core. What are their values? If you know your brother already, what are his values? They're probably not your values. So starting from your values, weirdly enough, doesn't work. And so we have to start understanding what do they care about? What are their values? Uh, Justin Lee was talking last night about what are their teams? What are the groups that if they took on your view, you're threatening their group. 
Maybe it's their faith group. Maybe it's their political identity. Maybe it's their high school group, right? Um, we're trying to find ways to connect with people that don't put them immediately on the defensive. And there's a beautiful, uh, you can go find a TED Talk by a woman named Catherine Hayhoe. You may have heard of her. She's an evangelical Christian, as Justin Lee is, um, who's also a climate scientist. She recently became, I think, the head scientist for the Nature Conservancy. So she has had to hone hmm. her capacity to reach for people who do not agree with her on the climate emergency because of her faith. And her, the three points she says is one, start with either, I think, their value system, patriotism, national security, uh, family values, right? That tends to be, quote unquote, conservative values, right? Mm -hmm. As respect for authority. These are not tend to be progressive values. Progressive values tend to be equity, justice, fairness, and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. But starting from our values doesn't work. So trying to start from where they are, find something that's shared, that you can actually believe in. I've been doing this around the vaccine and masking, which is I really do believe that um, it's a threat to our national security, for example, if we let this thing get out of control. I also believe it's a threat to our economy. And so yes. I can start with people on the shared value of wanting a secure economy or a secure nation. Mm -hmm. I do believe that and they do too, for real, right? Right. Um, so starting with a shared value where you frame your point in th that way, and then you tell stories either from your personal experience or things you've heard of from other people, because stories speak to the emotional core, data does not, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can find a way to share the information you're trying to share, the data you want to get across, the point you're trying to make, right? Inside of stories, people are not threatened by stories, they're drawn in by stories. Again, indigenous nations do this more brilliantly than any other cultures mm -hmm. on the planet, to my mm -hmm. experience. Stories are the most powerful educational tool that we have, and they've been shown in research to actually change people's mind. Like I've heard of projects where people have gone around, I believe it was on immigration issues, voting issues around immigration and LGBTQ issues. They were going door to door and they told their stories, either about themselves or family members who were in those constituencies. And the research actually showed it changed the way people voted. Wow. And it persisted, right? Because a lasting change. Yeah. yeah, it's connecting. It's not mm -hmm. going after the brain. It doesn't make people feel less educated. There's a whole bunch of ways in which it works. Mm -hmm. Her third point. So she says, start with the shared values, move to the stories um, and that and personal experience. And then find something that you can potentially agree on going forward. Her example with climate change is renewable energy jobs. That if you if you come at people and you can tell them, which is true, that renewables are now starting to outpace fossil fuels, that the future economically for renewables is better than for fossil fuels. Renewables the, are cheaper than fossil fuels. That the cost is dropping in ways right. we didn't anticipate. And that the potential for jobs, particularly if you call about the Build Back Better bill today, um, for renewables is strong. And that we want those jobs in Texas or in Alaska or whatever. They can they can go there with you, right? So I hope I'm being useful here. But so there are those yeah. three steps, right? Th those are some of the best ideas that I, think, I know. And, and then you listen again. Right. 
I think those are great. And uh, I'm glad you kind of codified that for me. I One of the most amazing conversations I've had in uh, the recent past was uh, pre-COVID. I was going cross country on a plane and I sat next to this woman who was an insurance uh, manager and she was a pro-Trump Republican. Yeah. And I was like, I myself at the time, I was like, this must have been like 2017. I was amazed that any woman could vote for this man, like given how he treats women and talks about women. And it was like, whoa. So but here I was trapped next to her for five and a half hours. (laughs) Yeah, I've had this experience myself. Yes. Right. So I just thought, well, let's take this as a learning experience. And I genuinely wanted to know, like, how does that make sense to you? Can you like, what is it about him that you're so I literally asked her questions for five hours. Good on you. She answered them. And I really was listening because I wanted to know. And at the end, she said, Eleanor, you're the only person I've talked to who actually wanted to know what I thought and was respectful that everybody else was saying, you're stupid, you're wrong. How could you? That's right. It's like, uh, it was Martin Luther King said, you know, people, if you have contempt for people, they can't hear anything you're saying. They can yes. only feel the contempt. So I think you're so right on. And I can't believe we only have 10 minutes left, but there's so much more I still want to talk with you about. But uh, I do want to refer listeners. If you, That's a great guide you gave for our individual conversations you can go to Libby's website, listeners, if you do want to work in your community with groups, there is this guide. How do they get, How do? where do they go Just to put, download put that? Start account? talking University of Alaska Anchorage in your Google search. It will come up. The, the handbook can be downloaded. Yeah. As well start, as one about Indigenous folks. Yeah. yeah. The Start Talking Handbook. So download that and do that in your own community. Just try it out and uh, you'll be amazed for the friends you make and what you learn. And then uh, and check out Catherine Hayhoe's TED Talk and Justin Lee's book on uh, talking across the divide if you want to go further. Yeah, Fantastic. And you've mentioned several times the Native American wisdom here. And I know you're born and raised in Alaska. You're surrounded by Native American tribes who have been there. I think, I don't think any of them were put on reservations, right? They're like still in their land of origin and you've really uh, explored and learned from native uh, peoples a a lot about what's going on. And if you could just briefly share with our listeners, like what are the most important lessons you have learned from native Americans about what we should be doing right now? What the elders say, so let me back up. Joanna Macy, who is a white woman, who some of you know, who's in her 90s now, who is sort of a matriarch in the white, well, in the environmental movement broadly, Mm -hmm. would say we need to always do three things. And I think this applies from an indigenous standpoint as well. One is we need to protect, uh, to, to protect what we can, right? We need to stop the destruction wherever we possibly can of the living earth. We must. Um, It's a good place to start. Yeah. Stop Second thing is we need to create the new the, the new vision, right? And and yeah. um, Paul Hawken has a new book called Regeneration about all mm-hmm. the projects out there to restore the soil, to you know put put things to heal, 
to heal the, the natural world and our relationship to it. And so check that out. Regeneration is a book with all the, that kind of work going on in it. So get involved on some level of restoration, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the third thing she talks about is changing our consciousness. And that it isn't that we're going to do one of these things. We're going to do all of these things as best we can together, simultaneously pick some part and move on it. And what she means by that, I believe, is, is what you're asking, which is indigenous elders, in my experience, and again, there's tons of them out there, and I've only been exposed to some, um, start there. They, they start with our relationship to the living world and our relationship to one another. I referenced it earlier, that we are profoundly disconnected in ways we don't even recognize. And if you don't know your place, literally, know your place. Where does your water come from, right? Where does your food come from? You know, how are your birds doing? What are the plants where you live? And I know it's hard to hear this if you're in an urban setting, but you still, uh, the ground is still with us, under us, wherever we are. It's not your fault, right? That it's hard to get in touch with this. But we, we actually need to know who we are and who we are are animals that are completely dependent on our living systems. Uh, they're not backdrops to human activity. They're not just sources of resource, you know, research, recreation, as I like to say, right? Real estate, that's not what's happening here really. And so when they talk about changing consciousness, that's what I believe they're talking about is figuring out who we actually are, and what's actually going on. And what what that results in is they talk about our society as the reverse society, that it is flipped upside down and backwards, we've got things upside down and backwards, what really matters, we barely notice, for example, our living earth, <laughs> and and its health, it's the centerpiece. Without that, nothing else is going to, you know, David Orr says it, we, or I have a little song, you know, we will, we will protect our climate and our oceans so that all the other struggles may go on. Right, we, that's the centerpiece that we must begin to shift into in terms of a shift in consciousness. They call it dropping out of the head and into the heart. Mm. And Beautiful. what they mean by that is that we're out of balance. There's nothing wrong with Western civilization in many ways. We've been fabulous, right? Our medical developments are fabulous. A lot of our technological developments are fabulous. A lot of things about the Western world is fabulous. But the, if you bring the consciousness to it of disconnection, of consumerism, of individualism, of getting mine, of I'm not really connected to what's going on around me, they can do great damage. They are doing great damage, to put it euphemistically. Mm -hmm. The metaverse, for example, is mm -hmm. uh, right now, you know, it would be great if we actually focused on the, the planet we're on, right? And and not, our, I'm just saying, artificial intelligence is great. It has some great aspects, but we need actual intelligence too, right? <laughs> we need, um, so um, I'm teasing there, but there- Oh, it's like Lily Toblin, right? The search for intelligent Yeah, life. for intelligent life in the universe, right? <laughs> no. But they're saying that, that if you, and this is where we can intersect with all the work that's going on with mindfulness and, and spirituality. Um, mm -hmm. And again, my work is to bring these things together. People are doing amazing work on spirituality, amazing work on gender issues, amazing work on racial equity, amazing work on a lot of fronts. They have to come together as a whole. We're trying to shift mm -hmm. out of a deadly system, mm -hmm. right? We can't just do meditation and not do action in the world. We can't just do action in the world without centering our consciousness to one that is more peaceful, loving, and inclusive, right? 
Right. We can't make progress. We're not going to save. The equity issues aren't going to work if the if the oceans go down, right? And the oceans are going to go down if we can't be equitable the way we treat each other with respect because most people on the planet aren't white, but, you know, it's 11% look like me, right? So the consciousness piece is to get out of the sort of linear uh, Native folks tease sometimes that we, we go around like brains on sticks, right, that we stick in the brain. But there's nothing wrong with a good brain if it's tied to the heart, right, which is tied to the earth, which is tied to the community. In fact, you want those brains. So it's not a put down of the intellect. I have a good one. I'm glad for it, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't lead from there. We lead from the love. We lead from the connection. We lead from the uh, community, right? Um, and so they're trying to help us move into a place where you can trust your instincts for where you belong, where you contribute, where you should show up, who needs you, you know, where can you serve, comes from the heart more than anywhere else. And that, that's their biggest message to us now is we've got to get that right. That's a fantastic message. And also you had mentioned in a prior conversation, the other piece they said is you need more women in leadership. Absolutely. That's part of the native way. Yeah, they can't even believe that we're still so far behind on that because there's no way we're going to make it forward if there is not balance between the genders. Right, exactly. So yes to leading from love and drawing on our brilliant minds and um, inspired action. And I'd like to uh, wrap up and I'm going to let you choose, except maybe not. I, you know, you just wrote one of my favorite all time songs okay. yeah, yeah, and it's about, I mean. it's about, you know, about leading from love really. Yeah. So if you're willing to this, by the way, Happy. listeners became an international sensation. So I go ahead and, and sing away. Okay. Well, I'll close with this song. It's called, how could anyone? And um, I send it out from the belief that we are either behaving like real human beings, like we're talking about, or we're showing people what happened to us so that we can think about and approach other human beings from a place of compassion, that people are either showing you their real selves, their real connected, loving, creative, cooperative, want to make this thing work for everybody's self, or they're showing you what happened to them, right? In which case they deserve and need more love. So um, here's the song. Oops, actually, I need to put it down here. Let me see. Wherever you are at home, I'd love it if you sing along or hum. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. That's the whole song. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone fail to know that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. I'm going to keep singing. How could anyone ever tell you for anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone ever fail to notice? 
that your loving is a miracle. How deeply you're connected to my soul over time. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. So beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, Eleanor, it's a pleasure. Thank you for your work. And that's all the time we have today, listeners. That's Libby Roderick. Thank you so much for being with us today and for all your incredible work and, and beautiful songs. Thank you. I gotcha. Thanks.